Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Joe Zimmel and Valerie Friedman. Hi, this is Kion Wolf, but today I'm calling myself Zoe July because it's July and I like July. And Zoe is, look, I'm just calling myself Zoe July, okay? Today I'm making some cute labels for the preservatives I'm putting up. See? Homemade vanilla. Get out, right? I've got some zig pens and some stickers and buttons. I'm going to put on some music by the field mice and get going. Wait a minute, I've got the jars all mixed up. Is this the peach raspberry or the mint meat? And where are the spiced pickled runner beans? This zig pen is totally skipping. You know what? Screw this. It's all just sex and food hurtling towards a necropolis anyway. I'm not working on any damn show about the twee aesthetic. I'm going to go bomb another thrift store. And now he's so twee, he drew little purple rabbits all over his blood pressure cuff. Colin McEnroe. <laughs> all right. So we're doing this show. And, and, you know, one of the things I sometimes say in our staff meetings is I, I quote uh, the, the great sage, uh, David Letterman, who I don't know if he still does it or not, but he used to have this segment called Is This Anything? <laughs> and a curtain would sort of part and this, some kind of act would, would sort of transpire. And he and possibly occasionally assisted by various guests and, and his band leader, Paul Schaefer, would discuss whether or not it was anything. And sometimes for our shows, you know, we have to ask ourselves the question, is this anything? And I've become increasingly convinced, influenced somewhat by at least one of the guests on today's show, that there is this pervasive cross-platform artistic aesthetic called Twee, which in fact is, I mean, some people self-identify that way and other people don't. And other people, some artists object to being called Twee. It's T-W-E-E if you're sitting there in total perplexity. It shouldn't be that unfamiliar a term to you, but but it turns out it is. In fact, we sent uh, John Galliani uh, out to uh, ask people if they knew what it meant. Here's John what, Galliani. if anything, does the word Twee mean to you? Absolutely nothing. Twee? Yep. Nothing. I don't know. Just part of tweet, I guess. <laughs> I do not know. Is that not a that's kind of a style of rock music? Yes. Okay, so there was one person who kind of knew something. In just a second, we're going to talk about the Twee and movies with David Edelstein, uh, our America's greatest living film critic from uh, Fresh Air, NPR's Fresh Air, among other places, CBS's Sunday Morning, New York Magazine. But before we get to David, I want to talk to the person who kind of set me down this path, and that's uh, Kiri O'Connor. You know her as uh, the writer of the daily blog Mimo on the Houston Chronicle website. Uh, She's also now a columnist for the Houston Chronicle. The main, main way you know her, you listen to NPR. She's a frequent guest on NPR's Wait, wait, don't tell me. So I was talking uh, to Kiri, and she had just seen Moonrise Kingdom, and she said, it's totally twee. And that got us into a conversation, Kiri, but maybe you could begin by saying, what did you mean by that? Well, I think there are certain characteristics of the twee culture that Moonrise Kingdom embodies. It's very smart. And twee, I think, is all about kind of attention to detail, and nobody has the attention to detail that Wes Anderson has. I mean, oh, my God, those bird costumes. And, you know, I think it's very considerate of language. I mean, cupcakes aren't considerate of language, but the rest of it is. And I think, you know, it's constantly being inventive. Well, there, I think there's more than that. I mean, I, I mean, there's, first of all, it sort of comes from, actually, let's put David Edelstein into the conversation right away, because the uh, the lexicography of it is kind of a sore point with David anyway. So uh, joining us now from uh, NPR in uh, New York City uh, is David Edelstein. I think you should get the whole Scrabble story right off your chest right now, get it over with, and cleanse yourself. 
First, I want to say I am so thrilled to be on with Carrie. She has one of my favorite voices in all of radio, and it's sort of throaty and adorable, but it transcends twee because it's so smart. <laughs> and I just want to say wow. that. And I'm so excited. I'm so excited. I I have a thing against Twee because I played Scrabble with my in-laws, what, a dozen years ago, and I came up with the word Twee, and they all said, uh, what's Twee? That doesn't exist. They all laughed. They all laughed, I tell you. They laughed at me. And I rushed over to the dictionary, and it turned out it was an unabridged dictionary from the early 60s, and there was no Twee there. Now, apparently it comes from... They date it to 1905, mm. but it was primarily used by the British, and we know its derivation, right? It's, it's a corruption of sweet, right? It's baby talk for sweet, like you're going, oh, the baby, it's so sweet, it's so sweet. <laughs> and I guess that was picked up by Tweety Bird. I thought I threw a pussycat. You know, that was terrible, but, you know, it's so sweet. <laughs> And so, of course, it's a derogatory term because nobody wants to be perceived that way, right? Well, is it a derogatory term? And, and I throw it back to Kiri O'Connor. It does seem as though, I mean, certainly within the world of pop, and, and we'll come to that later in the show, but in other circumstances as well, too, there are people self-identifying as twee these days. Yes, I think, I think twee is, you know, becoming more respectable. And I want, let's just talk about this movie, Moonrise Kingdom, too. Because David, listen to the sigh. I could hear that sigh all the way down the line here. Because David Edelstein, although exhale into the you you haven't completely like, dismissed Wes Anderson. No, 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 I don't. I you know I, I don't dismiss Wes Anderson. I I really respect Wes Anderson. He's not to my taste exactly because I find that Tweed there's a kind of fatuousness. There's a kind of willed fatuousness, a kind of willed idiocy that comes with Tweed. You kind of have to give your, your characters a certain tunnel vision, a certain deadpan that represents a lack of any peripheral vision, sort of little people on their own little courses. And I find his very finicky, if you'll pardon my French, mise-en-scene, his little puppet stages, both exquisite and also they kind of upstage the drama that should be going on in the frame. Now, I don't speak for the the large body of critics in saying that. There are people who regard this style as masterly, who believe that he has, in fact, created his own, his own style and that each one of these frames can be analyzed and examined and do indeed have an intense emotional quality. I see it sometimes. I don't see it. I don't feel it other times. First of all, it was one of the few times somebody's ever said, pardon my French, and then actually spoken in French as opposed to doing something else. <laughs> so right away, that was kind of a twee moment. But um, <laughs> Merci. Merci beaucoup. <laughs> there is something about the childlike being taken seriously in twee. And I mean, I think that sort of goes on all over the place. And when we talk about twee, you know, we are talking about sort of, I mean, if twee has a goddess, it's probably Zoe Deschanel. And She's adorkable. She's adorable. Zoe Deschanel <laughs> is adorkable. And there's there's obviously a kind of sunniness to it. And I'm I'm wondering if it's kind of a response to something. I, I don't really know exactly what, but maybe just a response to – I'll throw it back to Edelstein for a second. I want to hear Kerry O'Connor on this too. But is it kind of – I mean you're more of a like a Tarantino guy. Do you think Twee is sort of like the, the sweet answer to Quentin Tarantino? 
I guess it is. It, to me, it has an element of camp in it, and I, I really don't like camp. In other words, it's kind of exaggerated. As I said, it's the characters are dumbed down. That show, The New Girl, really drives me out of my skull. And I used to love Zoe Deschanel. I used to, I liked her when she had a little bit more of a punk spirit. Mm-hmm. So that innocence and that wonderment that came out, there was sort of a tension. Now the character she plays is supposed to be eternally accepting, optimistic, and it's true that the show often makes a joke of how her reality contrasts with what we're seeing on screen, which is often somewhat more sordid. But there was a Mike Lee film called Happy Go Lucky that if Mm -hmm. if listeners haven't seen it, must see it, in which a young woman had a very blithe and sunny view of life. She was accepting of everything. She made the best of everything. And she had that view at the end. But along the way, she collided with some really angry and sordid people, you know, near tragedy. And you saw that that point of view was willed. There was a spiritual component. There was something brave and heroic about holding on to that in the face of the world's awfulness. I would say the same thing about Miranda July, who is often called Twee in her film uh, Me, You, and Everyone We Know, and even to an extent in her last film, which was very unpleasant but really great, called The Future. Again, you see this sort of dainty, cutesiness butting up hard against the sort of nasty reality of the world and somehow surviving, but surviving in counterpoint within the work itself. You know what I mean? The whole universe isn't twee, as in a Wes Anderson movie. See, There's I would, real I would, drama I, there. I would disagree about the Wes Anderson movie, but I'll throw it over to Kerry O'Connor. To me, in that movie and in a lot of Wes Anderson movies, including The Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou, which has all these twee touches, once again, I think lots of little maps, little sort of cartoon looking maps flashed on the screen and strange little glowing fish and stuff like that. It's always kind of juxtaposed against this incredible adult depression. Exactly. Exactly. I was just talking to a friend of mine about that. And he said, you know, the aesthetic is twee, but a lot of the characters have nothing to do with twee. They're just incredibly depressed. I guess I would agree. I mean, there's there's a suicide attempt to a uh, in uh, the Royal Tenenbaums. Obviously, there's tragedy in, in the Steve Zissou movie. I think that, as I said before, I, I would absolutely agree with you. And when his films work, for me, that is kind of front and center, that tension. I find, as I said, though, that for me, the balance is off. I'm noticing the cutesy details more than I'm feeling the tragedy of these characters' lives. And I just don't think Wes Anderson is kind of in control of his gifts. On the other hand, we could say many great artists weren't in control of their gifts, and that's part of why we love them. So I'm open to the Wes Anderson aesthetic. I just don't... I don't feel it, man. I just don't feel it in my heart. We're talking about Twee right now. We'd love to hear from you, too, assuming you have any idea what we're talking about. Uh, do you feel like you're drowning in Twee? Too many and bright... why should you have any idea? But... <laughs> That's right. Uh, too, many, too many bright colors, too much sweet music, too many people playing ukuleles, too much Zoe Deschanel and Miranda July. By the way, I regard the future by Miranda July as borderline unwatchable, but, but maybe I need you know, to watch it, is. it again. No, 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 it is. It's deeply deeply unpleasant. And yet, let let me just say something about that. There's a motif all through the film. She shows little cat paws, and she has a squeaky voice. She embodies this cat Well, there's a cat that that's narrating, you know, in not as nice a voice as Kerry O'Connor's, narrating the whole thing. And And people say, oh, it's so cute. And I'm not going to reveal the ending, but there is a real kind of slap-in-the-face ending involving that narrator that brings you 
completely up short that's consistent with the, the movie's very, very bleak worldview. I think that was an example of a genius use of twee. Genius. I'm I wish there were a French word I could use. For... <laughs> I'm sure there is. I'm sure the French have a word I'm, for it. I know. You know, Kerry O'Connor, there was um, maybe sort of a, a, to say a viral twee moment. There was, right before New Year's Eve this year, a video that went up on YouTube, which I'm pretty sure you're aware of, and I think maybe even posted up on the Mimo blog, uh, in which Zoe Deschanel and uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt are sitting there with guitars and ukuleles and God knows what else, and they sang, What Are You Doing New Year's Eve? And to me... There was something very twee about that moment. Maybe we can uh, figure out what it was. But it, it, people went nuts for it. People really loved something about it, right? It was, it was terrific. And by the way, the ukulele is the official musical instrument of twee. Yeah. But what is that thing? I mean, first of all, I, I think in one word we haven't used is kind of nostalgia or old-fashionedness. And there is something uh, in the twee aesthetic that, is, that, that craves the past, Unlike steampunk, another kind of difficult-to-document cross-platform aesthetic, it's hard to locate exactly where in the past we live, maybe just in, the, in some huge, broad expanse of the past. But it does seem to look backwards a little bit. So, oh, I think it definitely does. I mean, that's part of the sort of handcrafted quality of it. Yeah, the handcrafted is a— That's, that's a, really a good point. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe, maybe at its best, there is a kind of irony built into it, you know, that you mentioned David Letterman. And one of the, the amazing things about Letterman in, in sort of early 80s culture was that he was in sort of razzing the folks at home. You were looking at 50s images and, and even earlier of, you know, very sunny Americana through a kind of doper's haze. There really was a, a kind of stoned making fun of quality to all those things that because when you change the context, when you put them on stage in the David Letterman show in front of hipsters, then it completely changes the context of it. And so we all we all laughed at that. We all laughed at the folks back home. And maybe Twee embodies at its best in, in sort of the indie rock scene of the uh, late 80s and 90s, it had this desire for innocence with a kind of ironic understanding that it was in some ways nostalgic. It was the nostalgia, uh, if you'll pardon my Greek, from nostos, which means pain. <laughs> Looking back, people don't realize it. Nostalgia has a, has a component of pain built in. Looking back, you know, with sadness at, at what's past. All right. Uh, let's, uh, to that end, uh, grab, you may not be able to do it in Greek, but here's uh, Robert in New Haven who does want to talk, I think, about the twee element in, in indie pop culture. Hi, Robert. Hi. I was driving in New Britain and listening to the CCSU uh, radio station a number of years ago and heard this very, I guess the term now is twee, shimmery, slow, whispery song and suddenly realized that they were doing a cover of Anarchy in the UK. <laughs> and it just absolutely blew my mind. I spent about three years trying to track it down, and I finally found it. It was a group called Fraser Chorus. And even in the Internet era, it was hard to get a hold of this CD. But the thing that made it remarkable was they really seemed to do it absolutely straight, this Sex Pistols punk rant. But I don't know if, if, if uh, you folks have run across Frasier Chorus, but mm -hmm. that is a very unusual group. 
Well, actually, what we can ask later. Uh, we have a musician named Ian Schlein that will be joining uh, me later to talk a little bit about the, the history of twee pop. Kiri, what he's saying, what David's saying, it kind of brings me back to something I remember that you said quite a while ago, which was that the people of your daughter's generation, people we can sort of place more or less in their 20s right now, I mean, you think about David Letterman, and the the message of David Letterman kind of was, this is crap. What I'm doing is crap, and what I'm supposed to be interested in is crap, and probably the commercial that's going to come on after I get through talking is crap, and you really shouldn't like any of it, but it's late-night television. We're not putting that much work into it, and we're going to have kind of a sense of humor overall about it. Whereas in experiencing the sensibilities of the generation of, of your daughters, you sort of said that there was kind of a different attitude, more of an expectation that things would be good and things would be worth liking. Well, I think that's one of the nicest things about Twee is that it's very optimistic. I just want to bring up the tweeest thing I have ever read, which is the Will Fair books by Alicia Gray Painter. Mm-hmm. They're young adult books, and the three main characters are literally described in the book as old children. And I think there's like an old children quality Twee, too. You keep that sort of innocence and optimism of which I didn't have as a child but I guess other people did you sort of retain that well yeah Can I say something about yeah Twee, yes Cohen? please say something I just want to say that Twee how you like right now um I was I was just listening to Carrie and and I was thinking oh yes the way she talked about it made me think oh yes I came in here to kind of dump on Twee, and now I like Twee. <laughs> and that's, it has a quality that if, it, if her words connected with me, and if you hear something or you see something that is Twee, and it, it sort of barrels past your cynicism, and it converts you, when Twee works, it makes you almost like a baby going, oh, how Twee. And now I feel very, very good about it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if we can ride all of these moods out all the way through, but, but it's possible. I guess the larger point is the context of Twee is hugely important to its impact. Another interesting thing about Twee is I think within, particularly within movies, there's come to be a real visual signature for Twee. And it is kind of the, the mixing of media. Kind of I think about those opening credits for Juno where there's really kind of an unusual kind of graphic thing going on there that's very cartoony. And there's all this very childlike old children, to use Curious phrase, moldy peaches songs going all the way through it. In grasping for a term to describe that at the time and to describe other movies that I can think of that I I, I might mention over the course of this conversation, all I could think of at the time, because I couldn't think of Twee, was sort of postmodernist, this kind of idea that you you kind of throw all the categories to the wind and mix all kinds of things together. But to me, and now yeah. that I think about it, that's sort of a, that really is a Twee movie. And Juno might be one of the first really mainstream Twee culture experiences. It kind of yeah, has I everything. Hated it. <laughs> I, I loathed it. And, you know, it's, it's interesting because just the other day in an interview, the, the great uh, rock critic and philosopher Griel Marcus had this rant against postmodernism and this cry for a return to modernism. He was sick of all the irony, of all the sort of built-in irony and the sort of willed obliviousness that comes from a certain kind of postmodernism and and just a cried for a return to modernism. I, I don't know if that makes any sense, but I think it does. I understand where he's coming from. Kiri, I can't remember where you uh, came down on Juno. Oh, I hated it. <laughs> I'd like to say that I hated it the first time and a half that I watched it. I had to watch it a few times to sort of come around to it. I mean, I still have some problems. There, there is a, a tweenness to Juno that's troubling. Well, okay, just, just as an aside, the thing I hated about it was nobody behaved like a normal person. 
What teenager doesn't care about sex? But that's very Tweed. I mean, there's an, uh, one of the notions of the Tweed aesthetic, I think, is there is a kind of sexlessness to it. You know, there's a, a childlike innocence that kind of replaces what we might expect to find in, in the sexuality of rock and roll or, or a sexual situation in movies. I guess artificiality, if the artist earns it, I mean, we can we can look at many great works of art in which the characters don't behave the way they do in life. That's not why we turn to art. Otherwise, everything would sound like what, what would happen if you tape recorded some dull conversation in a coffee shop. I just didn't think that um, in the case of Juno, it earns its tweeness. There's a movie that just came out by Whit Stillman called Damsels in Distress that is borderline twee and that is campy that a lot of people didn't like. I half liked it, and I think that at its best, the movie was really kind of exploring something. It was exploring a certain kind of person who gets an idea or an ideal, a philosophy of life, and how that philosophy collides with the real world and renders them sort of ridiculous. But at the same time, you still love their spirit. I guess it is what the adorable Zoe Deschanel is 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 doing in The New Girl. Uh, but I think it worked a little better in the Whit Stillman movie. All right. Since we've got a, a Zoe Deschanel call up on the board, I'll just grab her right now. Here's Jamie in Wethersfield. Hi, Jamie. Hi. My comment is that I'm a a young professional in my mid-20s. I like Zoe Deschanel a lot. I think she's very talented. And it's very refreshing to see a young woman in a very positive role who's being very successful. And as someone kind of in the business world who works a lot with men and technology, she makes me personally feel like it's okay to be an adult and to take myself seriously. But she's still be successful and to still be smart. So it's almost like with her, you get the best of both worlds. And I think she's a really great role model for young women, especially. Great call, uh, Jamie. And first of all, does she also make you feel okay about just staying in on a rainy day and having tomato soup delivered to uh, your your place while you listen to Shake, Rattle, <laughs> yeah, and Roll? Yeah, with Yeah, I mean, she makes it feel like it's okay to just be you. Like, you don't have to go to work and act, you know, masculine and authoritative. It's okay to be feminine. It's okay to be optimistic. It's okay to be yourself and to not be afraid that people aren't going to take you seriously because of it. All right. So would you would you bake me cupcakes sometime? She's not going to bake you cupcakes. She's too busy. Oh, so you would bake cupcakes. Aren't you too busy taking yourself seriously in the business world to be baking cupcakes for some total stranger? (laughs) But that's what I love about her. I think she puts out the message that you can do both. You can go to work and be a project manager and you can come home and make a cherry pie. (laughs) All right. That's beautiful. Jamie, great call. Boy, she's that like, is that is beautiful. I'm has, sorry if I sounded if I sounded ironic. She, well, I mean, I, you know, I don't know if she didn't seem to know what I was referencing, but there, Zoe Deschanel is in one of the first really overtly twee commercials. Although twee music, twee pop music has been used in commercials a lot, but there is a commercial now for the the new uh, iPhone where she she's having Siri uh, get her tomato soup delivered on a rainy day, and I don't know, I and mean, she's. She's not going to be going out. She's going to be staying in and playing the ukulele and dancing around. I don't love it as I don't love it as much when it's used to sell something. I mean, I know she's selling herself on her show, but I I guess I don't love it when it's specifically associated with a product. Yeah, but I, but I guess that tells you how hip Twee is if in, if in fact and how you know how how in she is if it's used to sell. Uh, let's face it, the most coveted and fetishized product of our era. 
Kiri O'Connor, just to go back over to you, I apologize for citing a casual conversation we had like 10 years ago as though it was in a peer-reviewed journal. You may you may not want to associate yourself with these comments anymore. But I do also remember you talking about what we could maybe call the Zoe Deschanel generation as not as suspicious of marketing, not as suspicious of advertising, as kind of being eager, avid, and happy participants in a, in a commercial world. Oh, I think that's generally true. I think it may have changed a little bit when the economy slid down, but they just understand this to be a commercial world. All right, we're going to grab a few more calls here, uh, including uh, this is a great one for Edelstein, I think, because it'll, it'll take us back into the movie fast. Here's uh, James in West Hartford. Hi, James. Hey, Colin and company. I want to follow up partly on what you said about sexuality because I'm interested in the imposition of Twee and see if you agree when they made that movie out of Truman Capote's Breakfast at Tiffany's and we're not really sure what we're supposed to think about this beautiful, iconic Audrey Hepburn, especially if, in fact, we read the novel. Are we supposed to look at her through twee lenses now? That's a great question for Edelstein, anyway. <laughs> well, the movie gets away with it because she's so utterly captivating. But there were movies, in, especially in the early 60s in, or mid-60s, before the sexual revolution, in which... Call girls were were presented in a way that was that was sexless. Sweet Charity, which is based on a Fellini movie about a call girl, right. you know, she became a dance hall hostess right. in the musical Sweet Charity. So there there was that kind of scrubbing going on all through the early sixties. And I guess when people do look at Holly Go Lightly now, they don't look at Truman Capote's Holly Go Lightly. They look at Audrey Hepburn's Holly Go Lightly, and that's a brilliant reference because she is that is what a, a girl could aspire to. If you'll pardon my tw- we vocabulary. <laughs> she is an adorable flibberty gibbet. Yes. A beautiful answer. I don't think anybody could possibly improve on that. Let me grab one more call here before we take a break here. David in West Hartford. Hi, David. Hey, Colin. Uh, I really enjoyed all of Wood Stillman's movies, and I have a, question, a quick question for David about that. But first, I got to say, I can't stand Zoe Deschanel. I can't stand the word adorable. I don't ever want to hear it again. <laughs> I think it should, be, it should be shelved just like LOL. We should never, ever type LOL or say it again, ever. And I, I almost think it's contrived. She might be a nice person, but she may have just decided, oh, you know what? I'm a dork, and I'm still cute and sexy, and I'm going to work that. So it's disgusting to me. Maybe because I'm 42, and I'm sorry for the rant, but I'm not, you know, I'm of an older generation, and I think the whole thing is just phony and stupid, and I hated Juno, too. Now, Damsels in Distress, I haven't seen it, but I love Witt Stillman's movies, and, you know, I almost think they're they're not postmodern, really. They're just modern and should not be, hopefully, not lumped in with this other trend, and I wanted to get Edelstein's opinion on them. Uh, whether or not with Stillman's movies are modern, postmodern, or what? No, I, in fact, Damsels in Distress is a is a kind of radical change of tone for him. I don't mean to lump in Metropolitan or Barcelona or The Last Days of Disco. Those are those are essentially basically realistic comedies of manners, philosophical comedies of manners, and and you know some of them really work beautifully. Uh, Metropolitan is just a wonderful film, and and is not at all twee, although some of the characters. I guess could be accused of being twee. It's damsels in distress that has a, a very kind of campy, artificial tone. That when when you see it, you'll you might I think true lovers of Whit Stillman will be a little bit disappointed by the film. I just want to talk say one last film thing before we uh, go to a break here, and that is 
uh, I want to mention a film that I know that David's seen. I'm not sure whether Carrie's seen it or not, but I know it's a movie that David liked, and that is the movie Beginners. Now, Beginners is uh, the movie that actually Christopher Plummer won an Oscar for uh, this year, and it, it features Ian McEwan, and everybody in it's maybe a, a little bit older than the Zoe Deschanel. Ewan McGregor, not Ian McEwan. Ewan, Ewan McGregor, sorry about that. Uh, a little bit older than the Zoe Deschanel generation, uh, a little bit older than the Juno generation, but there, there's that same kind of thing where there's kind of cartooning that bleeds into the movie and then there's a dog, uh, Jack Russell Terrier, who talks with subtitles and communicates. And once again, I was looking for sort of a way when I first saw the movie to think about it and and to communicate with it. And I was thinking about postmodernism. But I don't know. Is that movie Twee? I wouldn't call that movie Twee, but in, there are scenes in which he talks to this Jack Russell Terrier, and the Jack Russell Terrier talks back via subtitles. Mm. But I think it's pretty clear that basically that's his own, that's part of his own mind talking back to him and telling him what he's really thinking, um, that he's projecting onto his pet, which is, I think, something that we all do project onto our pets. And I think, again, it's it's the context. And there's a beautiful moment later in the film in which he's talking to the Jack Russell Terrier, and he talks about what the terrier was bred for, for, like, catching rats or something that it's not required to do anymore. Mm. And it's his now basically all you do is you're cast in movies because you look adorable and people can project stuff on you. And it's a beautiful, I guess, postmodern way of rounding out the whole role of the Jack Russell Terrier. And by the way, if people haven't seen that movie, please see it. It's so wonderful. But that sort of raises the question, Kerry, and we'll sort of go out with this and, and with a little clip. I mean, when you have something like Twee, uh, the notion of Twee, it can become just sort of a visual signature, a visual aesthetic, too. It doesn't necessarily have to be, I would argue anyway, kind of backed up with a whole bunch of other stuff. To me, that movie looks kind of twee, and it's got some kind of, got a few elements in it that I think of as twee. So I don't know. Does twee have to have some kind of substance and content to it, or can it be just a look? Oh, I think it can be just a look. I mean, I think that, you know, there are elements of twee in lots of things. And part of the look also is a little bit vintage. Vintage vintage is definitely a key word. All right, we're going to take a little break now. But as we take a little break, Saturday Night Live has been paying attention to this. I don't know if they actually use the word twee uh, very often. Quirky uh, maybe is a a little bit more common. So we're going to hear a little bit of uh, a skit that they did featuring somebody playing Zoe Deschanel. It's being quirky. And here's your host, Zoe Deschanel. Deschanel, and my soul was born in 1901. <laughs> Welcome to Being Quirky, the show that celebrates the quirky lifestyle of vintage clothes and <laughs> With me in the kitchen, as always, is my BFF, Michael Sarah. <laughs> hey, hey, Zoe. <laughs> the cookies are done. They're little hearts. So cute. <laughs> Not as cute as you, though. I mean...
All right, that's Bell and Sebastian, who are often cited as uh, one of the kind of uh, proto-twee groups. But twee uh, in music is a pretty complicated thing, and it, it does seem to have arisen uh, mostly in England in the 1990s, particularly um, on the back of a label called Sarah Records and a bunch of groups that, that came out through that. And a lot of those musicians and fans of that music do self-identify as twee bands and as fans of, of twee pop or of twee music. But it's a complicated thing, and twee obviously does have some uh, pejorative connotations here. I want to quickly mention, uh, Kiri O'Connor will be staying with us for the whole show. We'll kind of round this whole thing out in the, the final segment. But we're going to go into the world of music a little bit right now. Uh, joining us right now is Ian Schlein. Uh, he is a musician. Uh, he uh, also has some experience in the record store business, too, probably right around the time that Twee Music was uh, was for sale and people were buying it. And he's a musician who, well, Ian, it's sort of a complicated thing, isn't it? Because when I was asking around for somebody in Connecticut who had some background in Twee Pop, your name came up. But it's really not a term that you really like all that much. No, I really, really don't. I've never really felt myself to be Twee, but I love all the Sarah Record stuff and the uh, a lot of the bands on my label that are called Twee, I really don't even understand why, why they're called Twee, but I noticed that they're all grouped together that way. Because, I mean, there's nothing especially precious about a lot of them. It's just that they don't have any artifice in the way of their willingness to just let it all hang out and be emotional and not put on fronts of toughness and stuff. You know, that kind of is how I related to that sort of thing. And so is that your sort of attempt? I mean, obviously, you shouldn't be in the position of having to define a term you don't even like very much. But when you try to define it, is that sort of where you come down? Is that what makes something that's twee pop, twee pop? That's something that makes what people seem to call a lot of stuff that I liked that was called twee pop. Give us an example of one or two acts that you really liked. That, like, I really like the field mice, uh, the aforementioned field mice. All right, actually, let's let's play a little bit of the field mice right here, just so some people can get get an idea of what we're talking about. This is uh, between hello and goodbye. I love the way you look at me when you want me to hold you, and I love the way it feels when you place your arms around me. Because of you I have known both Happiness and heartbreak You always have to leave You always have to leave And I can promise You know, I really like that too, actually. But I, I think, Ian, one thing we could sort of think about a little bit is that that music was sort of coming of age in the 90s, maybe sort of at the tail end of punk and maybe as kind of a response to punk, too, that it's sort of the opposite of punk in a lot of ways. Well, I think that's the reason that the word twee was used as a pejorative term so much, because a lot of these bands were not seen as tough, you know. And then, like, a band like Sneaky Feelings from New Zealand, they were bashed by some of the higher-ups in the scene as being wet, because they weren't as tough. They were melodic. Certainly in the early 90s, indie rock scene was, especially in America, was very male, very tough, very distortion-heavy. And it was all about posing and posturing and stuff. And I think anyone that was like willing to do stuff without distortion and actually have a tune and harmonies and stuff, that was just seen as maybe even threatening. But that's, I think, why it was seen as they had to call it a negative term, which... I still think is a negative term. You know, it's it's interesting though. I think some of those bands started to wear those qualities on their sleeves or on their T-shirts, and, and they're they and, and they don't really 
really quite understand why. <laughs> I mean, I guess in a way it'd be like people reclaiming the word queer or something. Well, yeah, and I think also there was, there was its own kind of defiance, just in the same sense that punk was a kind of defiance that perhaps included some posturing with it. Then there came this kind of answer that, yeah, I'm going to wear my heart on my sleeve, and I'm going to be very direct about my emotions in my music. And there's a phrase that I can't say on the radio, though, though the first two words of it are twee as, that started to turn up on a lot of T-shirts, and there's a Tumblr blog, and, and, and it's a very defiant term. And, you and know, a wonderful article by Nitsu Abebe, my, my New York magazine colleague in Pitchfork that you sent me, yes. the story of indie pop that actually is, I think, a brilliant summation of the late 80s and 90s indie twee music. Well, it w- and I, I think there's an element that we haven't really mentioned here about yeah. the so-called twee music, and that is that it does have a feminine quality to it, you know, that's very anti-punk. Well, yeah, and I think, Ian, you're sort of getting at that. Well, I think it's interesting, too, like a, a band like Beat Happening, they definitely are cited as a big influence in the twee circles, but they always called their label K, a punk label, mm. and their website is kpunk.com. Actually, and they it, also always, people talk about the asexuality, but, I mean, their lyrics are, like, pretty blue some of the time and definitely a little bit bizarre. Just yeah, the I, same thing about Heavenly. The group Heavenly has a... Uh, an EP that is, in fact, you know, a story of, of date rape, but is told in with the sweetest and, and catchiest pop melodies imaginable. Just so beat happening isn't a total abstraction to people. We'll just play a, a little of that right now. This is Run Down the Stairs. And I just want to say about that, too, and this is really going to make Ian pound his head against the counter where he's sitting right now, I think. I actually asked Pandora, which uh, I think most people know is an Internet service that, that kind of programs music based on your taste. But they also have specific channels, and they do have a twee pop genre station. So I asked them today uh, to tell me, you know, how, how do they decide what's twee pop? You know, what, how do they decide what, what they're going to program on that particular station within their service? And they said, our collection of twee and twee pop, and then the, this is the part that's going to make Ian pound his head, a.k.a. bubblegum indie rock, is very well-rounded. We have a substantial amount of content from the significant artists, Bell and Sebastian, the Softies, Camera Obscura, as well as newer emerging artists, Allo Darlin, The Pains of Being Pure at Heart. In addition, we also have a twee pop genre station. I just sort of covered that. Also, Camera Obscura, Bell and Sebastian, the Softies, the Field Mice. The genre bubblegum was contrived in the mid-60s to describe upbeat, sugary pop music marketed to teenagers. A lot of those same characteristics make up the twee pop, which originated in 1986 uh, in the UK. Twee meaning dainty. The style is driven by simple and sweet melodies and lyrics combined with jangly guitars. It was that phrase, jangly guitars, that, that made me come back to this little communication from Pandora because of the cut that we just played. But I'm assuming, Ian, that the term bubblegum turns your stomach. I don't dislike bubblegum music, like, you know, the real bubblegum stuff, like 1910 Fruit Gum Company and all that. I mean, it is what it is, as they say. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But because it's such a disposable-sounding term, I don't think that a band like the Softies, who are anything but happy-go-lucky and whatever, or the Field Mice, I mean, almost all of those bands are actually kind of dour at times. 
in a good way. It's funny what people seem to consider to be like happy-go-lucky and upbeat when uh, a lot of these bands are really just singing about heartache and not being happy at all. Or and, the, and they or, don't sound happy to me. Right, you know? or or I mean actually it's so many of the things that you've said Ian have al- you've almost quoted from the from the band. We we were going to go out with a cut by the pains of being pure at heart and uh, since Ian uh, talked about heartbreak, we'll play Heart in Your Heartbreak. I'm starting a twee pop band called the Summer Fun Yellow Honey Bunch Awesome Ponies who are pure of heart. But why can't I work the word balloon in there somewhere? It makes me so angry I want to beat a butterfly to death with an apple. Actually, that would make a good name for our first single. Today's show was produced by Patrick Scahill and me with help from Lydia Brown and John Galliani. The part of Bill Curry was played by Jason Schwartzman. And now, back to Colin. Well, now we're talking to the author, uh, Mark Spitz. His book is Twee, The Gentle Revolution in Music, Books, Television, Fashion, and Film. And I don't know, I have to sort of place all this in time. So we we conceived of this Twee show, really, I guess a couple of years ago, uh, or a year and a half ago, and I conceived of it, and nobody knew what I was talking about. I mean, including the producers. They kept looking at me like I was crazy, and I kept saying, no, there's this thing, it's the Twee aesthetic. And it's gone from being this dismissive term to a somewhat affirmative term that people eagerly participated in. People still stared at me. And so now I feel like, Mark Spitz, if you had existed, well, you did exist, but if you'd existed as the author of Twee <laughs> back then, my whole life would have been so much easier. When and how did you feel as though you started to pull together this notion of Twee as a cross-platform, interdisciplinary aesthetic movement? Probably around the same time that you did. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, there are people who observe culture in different ways and there are people who observe culture in similar ways and um i just saw that um hip and cool and jaded and druggy and a certain type of behavior and style was sort of maybe becoming tired or just seeming a little less honest and people were sort of as they did close to 40 years ago now during um punk were starting to see through the sort of tropes see through the fashions and kind of reverting back to things that were a little bit more permanent and honest and like the subtitle says gentle um i think gentle is a key word although i mean here's the thing though and i'm sure you encountered this that twee it's a complicated word and it obviously is something that quote unquote works to a certain degree it it attracts a powerfully connected audience it's not a a huge mass audience but it's it's the kind of long tail audience that really likes uh this kind of stuff so whether it's wes anderson or zoe deschanel or miranda july or bell and sebastian Whatever it is, the people who connect to that and if they connect to the whole thing, they really love it. They really want a a lot more of it. On the other hand, I don't think it's a word that has completely shaken off some of its negative connotations. So that I don't know what happened to you as an author, but my experience anyway was, you know, if you call up Miranda July's operation and say, we're doing a show on Twee, we'd like Miranda July to be on. You know, there's a kind of stony silence like, yeah, that means what? What are you saying right now? I don't want to say I outright swindled people, but I <laughs> I will cop, now that the book is published and there's really nothing they could do about it, I will cop to 
describing the aesthetic accurately, but maybe shying away in certain occasions from using what my editor and, and I ended up calling the T word. Mm-hmm. That being twee. And I like the way you said it was reasserting itself slowly from pejorative to something that people could take pride in, as punk did, and as the word punk did years ago. And, you know, it's anti-bullying. It's more emotionally honest. It's less masculine posturing. And my sources got it. I've not received an angry letter from someone saying, um, how dare you include me in a book called Twee? But I did receive, when I would send interview requests out, on occasion, the dictionary definition of twee as a negative reply. Right. <laughs> Who did not want to speak to me and did not want their art bundled up under that cardigan sweater. Right, exactly. And I, and, I, and I think also, yeah, if you haven't already self-identified as twee and figured out that there is an aesthetic into which you fit, having somebody ask you about it that way is the worst way to begin pondering it because you, you don't even know what you're being asked about. To me... One of the mistakes that people make when they think about Twee, if they think about Twee at all, or as we begin to talk about it, they see it as this fundamentally innocent, pink and and happy aesthetic, and that that's pretty much it. And to me, it's not yeah, that at all. And ukuleles and exactly, yeah. it's all ukuleles and 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 pink hearts fluttering in the air and stuff. And to me, I mean, you look at Wes Anderson; his oeuvre is very much about depression. It's about the fact that life it really is depressing, and that you know in the th- teeth of that kind of depression, in the teeth of how hard a burden life can be, you know, it really makes sense to seize upon these other things that really do make you happy or that can make you happy. Franny and Zoe is just saturated with death and these characters are haunted. Max and Rushmore's mother's dead. There's a suicide attempt in Royal Tenenbaums. I mean, parse out any Morrissey lyric. It's not a hippy-dippy sunshine and unicorns aesthetic by any stretch, and I have no idea why it got that reputation. And what I like to do as an author in, in general is kind of look under those rocks to see like where the truth is sort of hidden. And I think the one last thing we also have to say about this, Mark Spitz, uh, is, and we should, I want to remind you, you're listening to Mark Spitz, his book is Twee, The Gentle Revolution in Music, Books, Television, Fashion, and Film, is that, you know, on the one hand, it's sort of frustrating the degree to which people don't get what we're talking about when we talk about Twee, but the only thing worse than that would be to have everybody embrace it, because that would kind of wreck it, right? Every subculture depends a little bit on exclusiveness. Yes, it's been my experience with all my books that the people who embrace them really, really embrace them, but there's not a lot of them. (laughs) (laughs) But I feel like they stand, and especially this one, and um, a couple of more history-leaning books, like I did a book on L.A. Punk, and I did a book on a novel about the Smiths before the Smiths sort of crossed generations, um, where they, they age well. And I think that we... I think maybe I got there a little early, maybe you got there a little early, but I think that we'll both be vindicated at some point that it's going to go on and it's not going to just be uh, apologies to anyone who who is emo, but it's not going to be like emo or or one of those things that you're sort of um, vaguely embarrassed about embracing at a point. Mark Spitz, if we're not vindicated... We'll just put some really happy music on and we'll realize that life is occasionally disappointing, but uh, we'll go forward. We'll go forward. We'll get the ukuleles out. We'll listen to some Tiny Tim and we'll watch a Charlie Brown cartoon. Yeah, maybe we'll bake something too. (laughs) Thanks for joining me today, Mark Spitz. Thank you very much for having me on the show and I enjoyed talking to you. We wanted to make sure David Edelstein had the last word on Twee. 
So here's what he said when I asked him, after being a part of this show, if his twee views had changed at all. I still prefer the drama of of the the sweet and the uh, and the dainty juxtaposed with the the harshness of real life. At the same time, just in the course of this conversation and talking about the music, I'm I'm coming around to the idea that maybe we need twee, maybe as a counterpoint to 9/11 and to you know what we see on the street every day. If you can do it in a way that's not fatuous, that is kind of true to that to those childlike longings for harmony. Let, let's face it. I mean, what we're talking about is not dissonant music. We're talking about, about harmony. Again, my favorite is, you know, a group like Belly, um, Tanya Donnelly's wonderful 90s group, is, is an example of using a kind of tweeness but juxtaposing it with some very harsh and discordant chords. That's my preference. At the same time, uh, just in the course of this conversation, I've, I've come to kind of love and respect what Twee at its finest can represent. That was the show that we did two years ago about Twee, except that some of it we did just a few weeks ago. We'd like to thank David Edelstein, Kiri O'Connor, and Mark Spitz. Thanks to you for listening to Twee. Wolf, and this is my twee song. I am so happy, I cannot tell you why. Oh, I, you know, this is, no, this is not working out at all. We're all just going to die anyway. What's the point of any of this? Thank you.